Welcome to the Hidden Cube podcast. My name is Daniel Johnson. I'm accompanied by Jeffrey Hampshire and Sam Everett. Awesome. Uh, we're both, well, all three of us are artists that have um, are been working towards a Bachelor in Fine Arts at uh, Brigham Young University. And, and we'll go ahead and introduce ourselves a little bit more during the podcast. But first, I think we, we want to have a little bit of an intro. And so I'll let Jeffrey talk about some of the stuff, uh, what we're planning to do and things like that. And then we'll turn the time over to Sam to talk about um, him and his artist advent, uh, endeavors and what he's doing. Yeah, perfect. So uh, we wanted to start this podcast for a few different reasons. Uh, one of the reasons was to be involved with the art world here, specifically right now within Utah. Um, outside of that, we're wanting to observe shows. We want to provide opportunities for local artists. And also part of the show will be discussion-based and interviewing um, artists of these specific shows. Um, we're really excited to start this because it allows us to participate, to observe, and to uh, provide opportunities to different artists here. Yeah, no, I, I think you hit it on that there. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we we want to do something. We want to be part of the art community, actively involved in it and, and, and grow it. Um, recently, uh, Sam Everett's graduated from, from BYU. And, and why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, Sam? Yeah. Um, so my name is Sam Everett. I'm from Utah. And it took me a long time to get my degree at BYU, but I am now finished in my final thesis exhibition consisted of a short film and some installation elements and a lot of photography. And just to super briefly summarize kind of what I've been thinking about lately is coming of age and the way that that plays into childhood objects or the way that we change how we look at objects and interact with them and also how we build narratives both as a child and as an adult and how those intersect. Awesome. No, I, I went to your final show and I did enjoy that, that film very much. And he, he did have an installation piece in the middle as kind of like a little tent. And I just sat by there and watched that video until it ended. It was great. Thanks. Um, no. So one of the things, uh, like Jeff says, we're going to be looking at some art shows, um, that maybe have happened in the past and, and are currently happening. We want to pro provide opportunities to the listeners as, as you, are interested in art and interested in the art scene in Utah. And perhaps you don't have the time to be able to go to these shows yourself. We want to provide just a little bit of insight and to know that art is happening all the time, all around us and is growing in Utah here. And as, as the podcast progresses, we'll go ahead and touch in other places as well. Um, so the first show that we want to talk about was named entropy. And it was a show that was held here at Brigham Young University in the Harris Fine Arts Center on the third floor in Gallery 303, the main section that it has there. It's a, it's a nice kind of darkened area that's got beautiful lighting onto the gallery white walls. It's got a hardwood floor, and it's just a nice space that's kind of secluded that you can go in and enjoy whatever um, art is in there, be it installation or paintings. Um, this uh, group show, Entropy, is, it's got several artists in there, and we'll go ahead and, and throw out a shout-out to every one of them real quick. Um, Jeff, if you want to do that. Yeah, this show was also um, 
curated and organized by Malachi Wilson. He's a student here at BYU, and he invited 13 different artists. So I'll go ahead and read those names of the participating artists. Um, Jeffrey Hampshire, I was part of the show as well. Daniel Johnson, as we introduced earlier, and Malachi Wilson. Caitlin Garcia, Christina Scarstead, Maddie Little, or Lytle, Courtney Siemens, Lizzie, <laughs> Lizzie Wins Windsor, Julia, how would you say that name, Daniel? <laughs> I, I would say Copeless. Copeless, yeah. We wanted to apologize. There's probably misspelled or misannounced names in this. Please correct us later, but <laughs> going on, there's Abby McConnell, Travis Belberg, Libby Malone, and Laura Brand. Awesome. And... So with, with these artists that have, have gathered together, um, there has been a variety of artwork. Uh, there's been paintings. There's been kind of performative uh, documentation art. There's been sculpture and, and photography as well. So we have kind of a, a snippet of the, the artist statement or, or the show statement, you could say, that, um, that we'll go ahead and talk about right now. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and read this artist statement that Malachi put together. Entropy is the thermodynamic measurement of randomness and disorder with a system. It slightly governs the spontaneous reactions to the observable universe, guiding every object or chemical interaction into a state of lower energy and greater disarray. This exhibition, which is a collaboration of artists from a myriad of disciplines, superimposes the scientific theory onto art, culture, and humanity's wide range of lived experiences. While humanity continuously fights an uphill battle against chaos, disorder, and confusion, its unconscious affinity towards these characteristics stands as a nearly impenetrable barrier between us, species, and the neatly organized equilibrium we seek. Should I continue to describe some of the artists that were involved in this part of it? Yeah, go ahead. If, if okay. you had any notable artists that you want to talk about, well, Malachi. Uh, wow, I so I feel really selfish saying this because the next <laughs> sentence includes me. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. But Malachi put together just some examples of the work that's included in the show that we'll talk about and how it relates to that entropy. So he wrote Jeffrey Hampshire's work, for example, recontextualizes the individual relationships relationships to memory and the physical organizations of the suburban landscape in an entirely man-made environment. His fragmented renderings of the cul-de-sacs directly contrast to the grit of Caitlin Garcia's landscapes photography, which fixates on the unforgiving American desert landscape. Abby McConnell's work takes a different approach to this topic as she playfully analyzes the things that humanity turns to when faced with the hopeless prospect of indefinite disarray. No, I, I really like that. I think it kind of sums up a, a little bit of what's going on in the show. And, and I mean, it may be selfish or, or not, but I think we should just start, <laughs> go ahead and start with your work. Uh, you were the first artist mentioned there, and you did have two pieces in the show, yeah. one installation and a, and a projection piece. Why don't you go ahead and if you want to go ahead and talk about uh, the sculpture and the projection together, however you'd like to do yeah. that. I think it's interesting to have so many artists together in a group show in the first place and have different ideas that can relate to one topic. So even though entropy is the overall topic, I'm sure there's 
other major themes that occur in these artist projects and, and pieces. For me, I had two pieces that Daniel mentioned. As you walk into the gallery space, in the back right corner, you see about a nine foot by, I think four feet by um, four feet high metal frame sculpture. This was 3 16 inch steel rods that were welded together at each end to create a wireframe structure. Kind of like if you were, I don't know, 3D modeling or something, you can view through a 3D object and you can see the outlines of it. That's how the sculpture appeared. And if you're actually familiar with Doho Soa, Doho Soa, if I'm saying his name right, he's a very influential artist to me, both in concept and in structure of it, as well as Rachel Whiteread. And I think that's their inner, let me, let me back up a little bit. Doho Sa is really involved with his childhood and with memory. And for me, that's what these pieces, both the projection piece I have on the back wall behind you as you walk into the gallery and that wireframe sculpture I'm talking about is an investigation into childhood as well as adulthood spaces. It's a way for me by creating this sculpture and by documenting kind of a walk through in an environment it's a way for me to honor space, and that's what I was really doing with these, is I was honoring spaces related to my past memory. How that relates to entropy, I think, is how it's displayed and how memory does the same thing that kind of entropy does, where you have this disarray almost. You have a solid understanding, a concept of memory, but over time it starts fading. And I think that's how it relates to this show with entropy is that this memory feels familiar, but can break down over time. You, you lose like fragments of it. I remember even helping you move these still sculptures oh, yeah. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> in, into, the, into the space. Um, and I, I remember helping you build these sculptures. I cut all the pieces for you and just seeing like the nice new oily kind of stainless steel. And when you had that in your show, versus how it was displayed here because obviously between shows they were stored outside and they had kind of rusted in a way and i think that's like that's why it fits so well into the entropy show and, and what entropy is is it's that kind of idea that memory kind of fades over time or dissolves or changes and that's still sculpture just how i remember it from your first show to this show is is just so much different and has a little bit more meaning behind it with how, like the journey that it's gone through. Yeah, both the material is fading as well as the concept of memory. I, I totally agree with you. I think that's really interesting and actually unexpected because it was just like kind of forced storage space <laughs> <laughs> yeah. where I had to force like have it outside, but it totally doesn't bother me as I had it in the show. Yeah, and I, I don't know, Sam, if you've had any kind of interactions with Jeffrey's work and want to comment about his work. Yeah, I've been able to see a lot of Jeff's work over the last couple of years, and it's been really exciting to see it kind of develop and, and take more shape and become more focused in that way of exploring spaces and memory in this interesting way. Thank you. Awesome. We'll go ahead and, and move on to one of the first sculpture um, pieces. Uh, there was three kind of sculptural, maybe better said two sculptural, one installation piece. The first one being a small sculpture that you'll find as you first enter the gallery on the right underneath the title. 
and it looks like a st- like a small stone that's been created using clay. Do you know whose piece this is as you walk in? This piece is by uh, Christina Scarstead. So Jeff, um, wh- what were the title of your pieces again? The wireframe sculpture was called Wood Hill 2. And then the projection piece, which I didn't talk much about, but you can see later on our website, is called, oh, Neighborhood Walks. <laughs> Neighborhood Walks. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So moving back to um, one of the first sculptural pieces and the first piece that you actually interact with in, in the Entropy Show is a small sculptural piece. It looks kind of like a rock, almost a sedimentary rock that's been in a way bleached. It looks like a nice porcelain ceramic material. And the title of the piece is Assumption by artist Christina Scarstead. And for me, it's, it's kind of interesting to, to see these little sculptural pieces and, and imagine kind of how sculptors use a material such as like the earth, the clay itself, and, and turn it into something else. And we know that in, in, at least in my studies here at BYU, we're, we're told that sometimes some sculptures are indoor sculptures only, and that if you actually leave them outside, they'll disintegrate and they'll turn into something that they're not, or they'll discolor and things like that. For me, when I look at this piece, I, I think about, you know, maybe stones cut out of hills or rock slides or, or chaos that ensues from small things falling um, off of hillsides and things like that. But also the thought about the physicality, the, the technique and things involved when building things out of clay and firing them and moving through this whole process of sculpting and that you get a final product like this, that in the end, if it fell off the podium that it's sitting on could shatter into a thousand pieces. Looking at her piece, um, I find it really interesting. I want to explain it a little bit more because it not only looks like a stone, this ceramic piece has edges to it that appear like a cube within this. And it's like being absorbed almost. So you have this cube shaped sharp edges with this kind of natural formed, I don't know, ball that's starting to absorb into it. I don't know. I find that interesting just because of the idea of, of absorbing into something you were talking about, like the, was it the earth, like reabsorbing material? And that's what this physically looks like it's doing. Yeah. And um, the artist herself even, you know, talks about, um, she conceives of her ideal self with clearly defined boundaries, exactness and purpose. And um, this fantastical creature, as she says, as she's talking about the stone, neither truth nor destiny remains ever constant inside of me while the irregular, chaotic person in process that I really am struggles to define self and refuses to conform. So it's it's kind of interesting how it's it's not only talking with like a physical object, but talking about maybe a mental state or kind of how people develop over time. Yeah, and it's like there's this this uh, object being absorbed, but in the description, it's talking about resisting to it. So even though you may see this as an absorbing figure, that it's actually doing the opposite of resisting. Oh yeah. So as we go through the gallery, um, what's the next? pieces that we're met with. So the next piece that you're going to see on on the right-hand side is a really interesting piece. It's a little comical. It is titled Kaleidopope, 
and it's by artist Abby McConnell. Um, it's one of her, and and I actually had the opportunity to talk to her, and this is the first show that she's been in. Oh, great. And yeah, so, will you talk about what she explained to you? So to describe the piece, it looks like it has a drawing of the Pope wearing round sunglasses that kind of almost looks like a party, but uh, has microphone in front of him. But then behind him, there's a conglomerate of shapes and pattern that you'd almost see if you were looking into like a kaleidoscope. I mean, as a kid, that was one of the fun things to do. But this piece, it doesn't feel necessarily religious at all, but it does feel very interesting as you see this Pope, a well-known figure in the world, just juxtaposed in front of this collage of shapes and color. Which to me actually kind of reflects like a stained glass. And, and that's, I don't know, I would picture this actually more religious than, I would picture a little bit religious. <laughs> you know, you have a Pope figure and you have this conglomerate of objects that appear almost like a stained glass window. So it kind of puts you in like a position of like a cathedral or something. But what did she talk about when she said, this is my first show did you talk to her about this piece at all? So I did. She immediately knew kind of what piece I was talking about. Yeah. And in a way, she talked about how um, in the world we're constantly bombarded with certain images, right? There's just an overload of information, a lot of messaging, like messages that are, are coming through imagery. And so in a way, she's kind of using this piece to to share that, that the world is going to bombard us. <laughs> It does look very um, kind of uh, like you said with the stained glass windows that can be very beautiful and serene, but in a way can also be chaotic, like the images and the messages being shown to us. And so she did, she found a lot of images kind of on her vacation that she used in this, in this piece. And in a way, I, I think it's kind of like a collage of, of pictures behind the Pope as a drawing. Yeah, so the, the imagery is actually captured from different locations is what the background is appearing to be. So it's the, the Pope is painted onto the surface, but the background is a collage-like surface. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a wonderful piece. I think it should um, be put in more shows in the future for sure. It's yeah, one of my favorites. I wish her luck in future shows coming up. Continuing on, if you were, and we're moving clockwise, counterclockwise, counterclockwise around the room. And the next pieces are actually by an artist named Daniel Johnson, myself. <laughs> so, Daniel, <laughs> talk about your work. Let's hear it. So, I have two pieces in this show, and both of them are paintings. I have one named Infinite Chaos and the other named Dimensional Chaos. Both of these images are paintings that are on canvas stretched across a panel. So it's a hard surface to paint on. It helps because I'm a very geometrically based artist. And so when it comes to the Entropy show, I feel like it's kind of that starting of Entropy. It's something that's been created, structured, that has the ability to become chaotic over time or disintegrate into chaos. For me as an artist, I think a lot about chaos and structure. And for me, these pieces are chaotic because I'm using watercolor as a background. And water to me feels chaotic. It doesn't move the way that 
you want it to all the time. You don't have full control over it. At least I feel like I don't have full control over it. And so using the watercolor as a concept in these was to add chaos and then to try and help the chaos feel better to me, adding structures that I painted in acrylic paint, in, in this case, over the top of them. One of them has interplay of circles that have bands of kind of rectangular bands going across and moving in between different sections of these circles. And, and the other one has kind of pillars coming out of this ocean water-like scape. And these green pillars are then superimposed with a nice blue circle that's been separated and connected in various points looking like an infinity symbol. Can I ask you a question? I know that you often talk about chaos with your work, controlling the chaos like you were just mentioning, but something new that I've noticed, especially in this uh, water landscape with the green pillars, what's this one called? And that one's called Infinite Chaos. Infinite Chaos. You start to actually portray a landscape versus just having like a texture that's behind on the panel. So can you talk a little bit about the landscape and how that's changing your work? Yeah, I definitely think that this transition into landscapes is almost like building a new world in a way. I've been highly influenced by a, a visiting professor named Madeline Rupert. And she has talked to me about how I can kind of progress my art, move my art into a different place than it's been. And seeing that the landscape is a new place that can be explored and almost in like a surreal way, I want to create these landscapes that you can feel like you enter. These pieces are actually small. They're at a 16 by 20 is infinite chaos. Uh, and that's inches. And the other is a 12 by 12 inch piece. And in further works, I've moved on to larger scale to where I feel like the person can interact with the landscape better and kind of put themselves in the landscape and experience it versus actually just seeing it as an object, which I've been doing previously. Yeah. Thank you. I think it's interesting to see, uh, since we already all, three know each other and kind of been in around each other's work to continue to see like changes in the direction that you're going. I think that's a, that's a good comment, especially as art is always going to be moving, progressing in, in some sort of way. And I think that's what we, we strive for as artists. And now after my piece, we're going to move on to another piece, which I feel like is a little bit comical. It gives me a little bit of a laugh as the title of the piece is, called um, I'm High Maintenance, and the artist's name is Lizzie Windsor. And, and this piece is a very nice piece. It's like a quilt, a small quilt that's got some tassels tied into it, orange yarn tassels tied over kind of cyan and a dark blue checkerboard that has accents of pink and yellow. And in the bottom middle portion of it has this white band where she has taken the time to sew in the word, the words I'm high maintenance. The piece also, that white band goes beyond like a typical border of the quilt, almost like a, a panhandle hanging out on the side. <laughs> I find that comical too. Just like I am high maintenance stretches beyond that border. And it's just like extra work <laughs> in that little corner. 
Do you have any responses to maybe the text that was displayed there? I had didn't have a chance to read that. <laughs> right. And it's interesting. It says here, this piece juxtaposes the roles of art and, and of tools. A quilt is a domestic tool. It is meant to preserve a person, not a, preser- a person preserving it. In the cold, um, a quilt protects. A quilt as art subverts its role as a tool. As a tool, a quilt protects a human as art a human protects a quilt i'll go ahead and stop there for that but it's interesting how she's doing this kind of thinking of what tools do and what art can do and i think that art really in a way does take certain things and changes it to where the object is the focus of it and what it is versus the meaning behind it or the function of it or the utility of it And I think that's a concept that is well talked about in the art world as far as sometimes if something has a utility, it's not considered art. But we're seeing a resurgence in Utah and in the art world of crafty kind of items becoming art as they give up the utility and they move into the art realm. I don't know, Sam, do you have any ideas about that? Yeah, I mean, it it would be really impractical to use this as like something to try to keep warm on because you just have this tiny little strip that says Nance with an exclamation <laughs> point just hanging off, leaving off the main tip. So I, I, I think it's interesting that that subversion of the object, what, what it's meant for. Any other comments, Jeff? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I did enjoy this. Um, almost just at the comedic level, uh, I didn't. I didn't really spend the time <laughs> to look into that tool uh, being subverted and stuff. But I do enjoy the piece. Yeah, I, I, I like it. It's one of my favorite pieces in that show. I'm allowed to have an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> and so we, we've already talked a, about your piece, Jeff. But the next piece we had run into the show is in that back right corner, and it would be that wireframe, the Woodhill Two sculpture wireframe. And I should explain a little bit maybe about what it looks like because this is probably the most recognizable. I, I mentioned structures before, but what this piece really is, it's a copy of a space and its measurements. And when I mentioned Doho Sa um, being an inspiration, he did something similar. and He's really intimate with spaces at times. Well, I should say with a lot of the work that he does, measuring out almost everything and then replicating that in some form or even his rubbing project where he he rubbed crayons across every surface after he covered it in paper this copy is a copy of a bedroom that actually my wife and I just moved out of we were living with her in-laws and this is when you're looking at the piece it's a one-fourth scale kind of replica of what was in there it almost creates these negative spaces where objects were contained, like beds and couches and stuff. So I just wanted to explain a little bit of what it looked like so people could visualize it. Around the corner to the, now we're facing the back wall that you walk into. Yeah, and so, and, and that wall would be the east side of the, of the building. And so this east wall, um, the first things that you're, um, in, you'll see are three beautiful photographs that are pinned on the wall. And I think they're just uh, inkjet prints on some type of archival paper. 
Um, they're not framed. They're just um, pinned on the wall. They're beautiful. The artist <laughs> for these pieces is Caitlin Garcia. Um, they're fairly large prints, and the imagery that you'll see on these prints is landscape. And especially here in Utah, it's like the desert landscape. You're seeing a lot of red rock. You're seeing exposed earth. Do you have the titles for these pieces? I actually do. One of them is called Path 5. There is Path 3 and Path 4. Path 3 is a, a large kind of portrait style, and Path 5 and Path 3 are both landscape style. So Yeah, when you're looking at the piece, you'll see a, a landscape or horizontal, and then you'll see in the middle, it's almost like a triptych. You're seeing in the middle that portrait uh, piece and then the other horizontal piece. Yeah, I think she aptly named these. As you enjoy these large photographs, you're looking at them, and in a way you can, at least for me, having lived in Utah, these hit close to home because it's something that I, I recognize as I've lived in southern Utah. This red rock that has different kind of waterways that have been eroded over time. But not only that, um, aptly named because you can see paths in these images that they are they're moving into the distance or they're moving across the photograph and thinking about how a path can take somebody somewhere that they've never been before or take them somewhere that they're familiar with um, and in a way these photographs make me think where does this path lead obviously where did it start and in in the sense of entropy thinking about how these paths may not exist years from now or maybe how it started as nature and the entropy is that humans have come and destroyed what was once serene and now there is something that is clearly visible as a, a trace left behind by humankind i would also say it's not only traces of like footpaths through these landscapes it's also nature itself like in path or, I believe, I, I, I can't read the title, I apologize, but <laughs> you're, you're you actually see a river flowing in the middle of this area. So the path is almost the river that's cutting through. And it just makes me think, like, it's impressive how beautiful the desert landscape can be, that the exposed red rock, the cutting of this river through this valley, that maybe it's both what you were saying with destruction, but also creation on the other side, that nature is exposing more and more earth and creating this valley and creating a deeper valley. I don't know, it's, it's quite beautiful in, in that way too. Yeah. One thing I noticed about it as well is that the, since they're just pinned up and they're only pinned up in the top two corners, and I'm not sure if we mentioned that, but I think that that is something that really transforms them a little bit from traditional landscape photography that you'd see where it's very clearly framed and part of the wall and held there nice and tight. But these are kind of free-floating at the bottom and it really adds a sort of structure and dimensionality to it that is, that is interesting that you usually, I, I think, at least in the classic sense of landscape photography, you'd maybe not see, but it definitely gives more of a sense of these sort of billowing hills and paths that move around and aren't necessarily straight, but kind of curved and wonky the same way the paper falls. I agree. So right now, I think it would be a great time to actually give a phone call um, to Malachi, the person that uh, conceived the show, curated the show, um, 
as and, well as participated in the show too. He had a few pieces that we'll ask him about during this phone call. Yeah, so we'll go ahead and see if we can reach out to him. Hello? Hello, Malachi. Yeah, how's it going? Good, good. So this is Daniel once again, and I've got yep. Jeffrey and Sam, if you guys want to say hello. Hey, Malachi. Howdy. Hey, how are you guys doing? Good. How are you? Not so bad. Well, we appreciate you answering the phone call today. We, we have a few questions for you regarding the show that you just had, both in the pieces that you participated and had shown in this show as well as mm-hmm. just your experience curating this. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of with your piece, drawing a straight line from increasingly farther away, kind of what was the inspiration behind this piece? And, and if you want to give like a little artist statement to feel, feel more than welcome to do so. Uh, sure. Maybe have you guys uh, taken a sec to, to kind of explain or describe what the piece was? You'll be the one explaining it, I guess. <laughs> no, we haven't explained Perfect. it yet. So. Perfect. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that, that we're not... Uh, talking about something with no frame of reference. Uh, essentially what the piece was, it was 11 sheets of paper with a very fine uh, green grid uh, across them, traditionally used for measuring out and tracing different wavelengths in uh, scientific studies. Uh, I don't know exactly what kind of studies they were for, but it, it's more of a template form. And so there were 11 of those horizontally stretched across the wall, each with a parallel or a kind of identical series of X's indicating a starting and stopping point. Uh, And then the series itself was kind of a performative piece, as the title would suggest. It was drawing a straight line from increasingly far away. And so the first drawing that I did, I I had a a marker and connected the two X's with my feet flat against the wall so that my body would be as close to the image as possible. So that was my zero marker. So you were sitting on the floor? I I was standing. So I had the paper tacked to the wall. Oh, okay. I paper tacked to the wall and then uh, was standing right up against it and then drew a straight line down with that really small, fine grid paper kind of exaggerating or really demonstrating how straight any of these lines were. Okay. Uh, and then each sequential drawing was from an additional 12 inches away. Uh, so, as, so you, as you progress to each sheet moving from left to right, if I'm correct, you added a yeah. longer stick and then drew... That as a straight as as straight of a line as you could on the sheet, and then move to the next, exactly. right? So on exactly. the floor so, below the uh, sheets, we had the evidence of that practice or that performance where you had these exactly. sticks paid, taped together. Exactly. And so for those first few drawings, I mean, they were all within arm's reach, and so I, I mean, I had my paper on the wall, and then I had on the floor these kind of tape markers that would give me an additional 12 inches each time. And so for the first few drawings, I was just kind of stretching out my arm, seeing how straight I could get a point between the two X's that I had already drawn on the paper. Mm. Uh, And then as I got further away, I created this, it was taped together drumsticks, but an extension of my arm to try to draw this straight line. And so by the 11th one, I was 10 feet away from the drawing. And how successful was your straight line on the the 10th one? (laughs) You know, as you would expect, it got decreasingly straight. It was a, a it was a pretty a pretty direct correlation between how far away I was and how messy that line got. Yeah, but that was kind of the point. And, and so this kind of, I mean, the way that it was installed in the show obviously had those actual drawings on the wall as well as the stick with the marker attached to the end on the ground in front of it to demonstrate. 
how any of it was executed. But the the entire project was really just based on on that simple line, right? That just the idea of drawing a straight line from increasingly far away, and and what's actually involved in that. And uh, it felt a little too simple at first. Like there was a while where I had that in my notes app on my phone, this idea, uh, mm-hmm. and and I kept coming back to it, and I kept thinking, oh, it's too linear. It's too uh, it might be a little didactic or, or derivative. And then I was like, no, I actually think it's kind of funny. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it and we'll see how it turns out. And I was quite happy with how it did come out. And a number of the people that I talked to at, at the opening reception said that they quite liked it. And so not that that's uh, reason enough to do something, <laughs> but I thought it was more successful and, and I'm glad that I didn't write it off initially. Yeah, no, it, it really is one of the pieces I enjoyed in the Entropy Show as it was it clearly demonstrated like a timeline having the object there of the drumsticks take together with a micron pen gave it the performative aspect along with the naming of the title like how you mm-hmm. had it so I, I thought it was a really excellent piece and really fit in with the title of the show yeah, thank you. so one of the things i guess that we want to kind of talk about too is how did you come up with the idea for the show is this your first show that you've done and you said that you curated it by yourself. How has your experience been with doing that? Yeah, so I've had I've had the opportunity to to participate in different group exhibitions, and as well as produce my own series of works that I've exhibited in in mostly unorthodox spaces. But this is the first show, like you were saying, that I curated fully. And so part of that was just me kind of trying to play the field from the other side, looking at what this kind of creative process is when I'm in control of very little of what actually ends up in the show. So I, the, the process essentially was just that I, I came up with this prompt, actually as I was talking to my brother, who kind of oscillates between being an artist and uh, being fed up with everything creative. And so I was talking to him about what it is that, that maybe motivates him and what are some of the themes that he was working with are. And we came to this kind of idea of entropy in art. Uh, and a lot of his work is very sculptural, and very organized, very, very structured. And so I thought that this idea of entropy would be a cool way of kind of pulling away from his and and even my own natural tendencies in art. But it also stems from this kind of ongoing thing that I've been thinking about, which is the dissociation of art from any other academic field. Like, as an artist, and and especially as a young creative, you get asked all like, oh, you're studying art, like, what are you going to do with that? Or, oh, you're an artist, like, how are you going to make any money off of that? as if that's the only important thing. And if it feels like it's detached from everything else, they're like, oh, well, you study art, so you don't understand mathematics, you don't understand science, you don't understand philosophy. And having those conversations with people who are just brutally uninformed and not engaged in the art world at all was always very uh, irritating for me because some of my favorite artists are also deeply rooted in the sciences and deeply rooted in mathematics and philosophy and political science. And if we look back through history, I mean, some of the greatest inventors and engineers were also the greatest artists, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, and even the idea of an old engineer or an old physicist, for some of them to actually be able to describe what they were thinking about or what they were creating, they had to be able to put pen to paper. And so there was an element of art that was engaged in every other academic field. And as maybe a result of advanced technologies or division of labor or division of labor in education, I see increasingly that art is becoming detached from all of these other fields of studies, and that makes it inaccessible to people, and that makes it 
I actually think it, it weakens the potential for art in a way. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think I think your views and, and what you've just described about kind of like art and in the world and how it has a place there that I always think about like draftsmen, right? That have yeah. designed chairs. It's like they had to learn how to draw or make marks. And I think kind of at the base uh, of art is making marks in your own way. And just seeing how, how it travels through time, it gains its own story, and even how art maybe becomes popular at some point in time. And then, you know, as all things, it experiences that kind of entropy and maybe hidden for a while or lose its value for a while until it's rediscovered. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So kind of what is one thing that you've learned from, from putting on the show? And what is one thing that you think you'd want to do in the future that because uh, I, I I would think that you want to put on some more group exhibitions in the future, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely something that's on my radar. I think in a large way, this uh, this exhibition was kind of a trial run for me, just trying to learn as much as I could from it and also just see what kind of participation in this field I'd like to have in the future. I think one thing that I learned is that you really, really cannot predict what is going to get submitted for something like this. And as much as I intentionally left, I tried to give a, a prompt that was both very intentional, but that also left a lot of room for interpretation. And so I sent out a call for submission that it's about entropy, and I didn't really elaborate it on or on it beyond that. I didn't say like, oh, it's specifically in thermodynamics or specifically any kind of social entropy. I was like, hey, you guys take this however way you'd like. And so I learned that people are ready and willing to take those opportunities. I think there are a couple pieces in the show that were submitted that I was expecting because I had reached out to artists specifically. And I know Jeffrey and, and Dan, you guys are some of them mm-hmm. that I, I mm-hmm. approached. But a lot of a lot of other people who I just kind of passively mentioned or they heard about it through some other avenue, they brought stuff into me that I had never even thought of in the realm of entropy or in the realm of, of what this show might look like. And it, I think it came together quite beautifully because of that diversity uh, of thought and diversity of practice. I'm glad that uh, you... So, oh, yeah, go ahead. No, no, continue. Yeah, I was going to go to the other part of that question, so feel free. I was just going to say, I'm glad that you experienced this. Um, when I was in school, I think it's just valuable to experience putting a show together, whether it's in a gallery space here that you had at BYU, or just even running it from your own home and stuff. Like, just experiencing putting together a theme, asking for submissions, really just getting the community involved. And I think it's always beneficial after you'll you always get something that you don't expect happen out of it. So no, I, I, I'm glad that you had that experience and I'm glad that you had it pretty early in your um, experience here at BYU. And I hope it's motivating to other students as well that they can also look towards what you did and do it themselves and just yeah. learn from it. I hope so. And actually what was really rewarding for me as part of this show there were a couple of people who I thought submitted some of the strongest works who came up to me during the opening reception and said, hey, thank you so much for this opportunity. I've never exhibited before. <laughs> and and that really surprised me. I was like, hey, there are lots of opportunities for group shows. Like, Provo is a great place for you to put yourself out there as a creative. Like, There's Art Stroll. There are so many businesses that are ready to support the arts in whatever way they can. But what I'm seeing more and more across not just... Uh, artistic practice, but I think in any creative field, is that it really is just about kind of creating these opportunities for yourself and putting yourself out there. And uh, if you're received, you're received. And if not, then you've got one more line on your CV, I guess. 
<laughs> True that. And then, yeah, after a little while, right? It, it won't it won't matter that much. But you learn something every step of the way. And it, if it's a great success, it's a great success. And if it's a big old failure, it's still a kind of a great success. True. No, thank you for your thoughts. Is there anything else that you'd want to tell the viewers um, or listeners? <laughs> I should say. Yeah, yeah. There's not a whole lot to view. Uh, I, I think I am looking forward to, uh, to putting on some more of these in the future. And so they should, they should stay tuned. Maybe I can let you guys know about future opportunities and you can help uh, spread the word about those. For sure. And we want to thank you again for having us in this show and just putting this together. I think it was great. I think we can both yeah. agree that it was great. Yeah, it was wonderful. My pleasure. Um, all right. We'll go ahead and let you have a good rest of your evening then. And, and then we'll just finish up here and uh, go ahead and throw out your Instagram real quick. Um, so that people can find you and then we'll go ahead and end the call. Sounds good. Yeah. So the Instagram is at embarrassed, but it's M period B A R R U S. That's my, it's my first initial and then my middle name, which just so happens to also uh, <laughs> be, be the word embarrassed. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, they can, uh, they can find future opportunities there. I'll probably be posting about them. Okay. That sounds good. Thank you very much, Malachi. Hey, thank you. Yeah, guys, thanks for the call. Yep. Have a good have one. A good one. So after having that conversation with Malachi, I think that's like a really good spot for us to kind of end this podcast. We we have a few announcements to make. It was a wonderful show, something that I, I was very happy to participate in. And it's really good to hear that other artists had their first debut there um, exhibiting something and that they had the opportunity to um, participate uh, we only got through seven of the 13 or so artists here on the podcast. We we loved the show. We wanted to document it and be able to put it up on our website for you and uh, all the other listeners to, to see. So uh, I'll go ahead and turn time over to Jeff a little bit, talk about the website and where you can see the rest of this show. Yeah, so what we expect from our website is to post images of the shows that we're going to be reviewing. We're going to be posting opportunities, uh, whether that's online shows that we will be hosting or any other open calls. You can kind of expect to see just uh, announcements through that website, as well as an archive of these podcasts, the artwork, and any other details that we might want to include. So our website is called Hidden Cube. Dot art. So not dot com, it's hiddencube.art. And you'll see all our updates on there. What we expect for the remaining of our structure of our podcast is to release the second and the fourth Thursday of every month. Yeah, we feel like that's a good day to be able to, you know, we know as you're you're working or doing other things and have the opportunity to listen to the podcast that we can describe a show for you give you a little bit of time to be able to go and see the show if it is still a live show as it's being exhibited. If not, a great chance for you to be able to hear about something that happened in our community. And from here on, we'll, we're, we're grateful for Sam to be here as, as part of the host and, and also to, to have his editing skills and being able to help make this podcast possible and Jeffrey for being able to put some logistics behind the website and, and other things. And, and we'll do our best to document as we move along. I should say, right before we close, if anyone's interested in being featured or have shows or artists that they would like to be part of this podcast, go ahead and go to that website, hiddencube.art, and find the submission form to submit any 
request for us to feature here. Yeah. Any other final words? Yeah. Yay! <laughs> this is exciting for us to put together, and we hope that the community is excited to hear these art shows and the artists and their experiences being artists here in Utah. All right. And this is Daniel. And I'm Sam. And Jeffrey. And we're Hidden Cube. We look forward to seeing you next time.